Now, Drew, I said I wouldn't fanboy today, but I'm going to really struggle here. So do tell me if I start to, maybe cut me off here because we're currently joined by former Waratahs and former Wallabies coach, current Pumas coach from over in Argentina. Welcome to the show and go, Michael Checkup. Morning, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, Looked like a pretty cold one down there in Canberra on uh, the stand broadcast, mate. What did you find of the game? No, I didn't think it was cold. It was beautiful. <laughs> Drew may have complained a little bit because he was on the sideline, but in the warm box upstairs, it was fantastic. Now, listen, I thought it was a good game. I thought it was finals, you know, and, and the play, the, the teams tried to actually out-tactic each other a little bit. Um, Hurricanes you know that Brumbies are good starters and they really went for a sort of points-and-chase approach to the game, which they probably haven't done in the past. They took kicks for goal instead of kicks for touch and just trying to edge away in front at the half, which they actually did. And then Brumbies retaliated really well with you know, doubling down on their kick and chase and pressure game in the second half and in the end of time. And, and uh, they got the win, and I thought it was really well done, to be honest. Now, check you're a man who wears many hats, but how, how have you enjoyed uh, the broadcasting side of things, getting in front of the camera and, and giving your opinion through the broadcast? Yeah, it's been like it's been pretty, pretty good fun. Really, I never imagined that I'd be the sort of type that would would do it. But uh, after the nineteen World Cup, I wanted to put myself in some different situations. You know, different, you know, things that maybe I wasn't that comfortable with. Um, I don't know. Just it broadened myself a little bit, you know, and and it's given me a chance maybe to help people watching the game have a bit more of a coach's perspective. Try not to have too many opinions, more just. This is what could be happening here. Um, and so, you know, people can sit around and watch the game that night and talk about what, you know, what they think's happening or the next day and go over it over a cup of coffee in the morning, you know, and talk footy. So I, I've enjoyed it, you know. I mean, it's a bit of a problem with some of the people you have to work with on those shows. But <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, it's pretty good. Well, I was actually going to ask, is it because you just really wanted to be my teammate as opposed to my superior? Well, you might be perceiving our relationship at work like that, Drew, but I certainly don't perceive it like that at all. I still see myself as your superior. <laughs> it still feels that way, to be honest. Uh, Drew, Drew sometimes mentions uh, at uh, stories in the pub that uh, he still feels like you're the school principal, so that hasn't changed at all in many respects. But um, one thing he also does seem to complain a little bit about was 2015 World Cup. Um, a few changes were made to, to the... Uh, the roster to be able to allow players over the 60 cap mark to be able to play at the World Cup. I think it was affectionately uh, known as the Giddo Law moving forward. Now, mm-hmm. it turns out Drew was uh, around about the 60 cap mark there and, and Gitz had a few caps uh, above him in that respect. 90. Um, is, 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 was there any sort of is – is there a filthy feeling there from you, Drew, that it, it should be called the Mitchell Law instead? Well, check. Would you agree that if you wanted just to be Giddo Law, you would have made it 90, a ninety cap limit, right? The fact that it was sixty is because you wanted to squeeze me in there. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, as far as the branding of the rule is concerned, I actually think that could be a Drew Mitchell. He's been able to thrive off that story now since <laughs> two thousand fifteen. So I think he actually created that little story so he gets the benefits further down the road. But mate, we like to have the joke, but you know. I know it was a long time ago, but the impact that those two fellas had coming back on the World Cup camp was immense. And um, you saw the way Drew ends up playing in the big games towards the back end. Yep. But um, 
Australia could have the same type of impact coming up in the next World Cup because they will start using... They're talking about different rules of players, three coming back, five coming back. They're not really sure what they're going to do. But it'll be interesting to see how they approach overseas-based players coming into the next World Cup. Well, you, you started that movement, check, and it, I know it's not your job anymore, but you are passionate about Australian rugby and New South Wales rugby from mm-hmm. uh, your, your pedigree with the sport here. Um, what would you, in an ideal world, want to see for the use of overseas players, um, you know, given that you, you did kick off that movement? How do you see that benefiting Australian rugby in, in how that rule will work? No, look, I think that, you know, the, the idea that... Um, there's a certain amount of players, whatever it is, whether it's three or four or five, or who have given... Uh, I still think that that was set up so that we could have some of our better players who are tempted by the bigger money in Europe, and there is bigger money in Europe, we've got a, and Japan, we've got to understand that. So the players have given a certain amount of service to develop the game at home because the, the game at home, like, is so important to the success of the game as a whole... Um, especially in the lead-up to the next World Cup. So I'm talking about game at home being club footy, junior footy, and mm. the way that they've been t- t- dovetailed into super rugby teams and then on to... Uh, and I think if you look at the Tars this year, they look like they've done a bit of that. If, if you're looking there, you see the, the, the Lockhart Oval, you know, yeah. really good crowds. They look like they've touched base again with, with that supporter base. I think that flows through. We've got to... I, I like to see the idea of the game being strong here, so... I don't think open slathers the go. I think what they're they're trying to do, they got they seem to have their head around it. A three or five, whatever the coach might need, come that time, you can sort of fashion the rule around it, but not to open the door so that all players have the freedom to be able to go and take um, that because it is difficult. I'm dealing with it right now with the Pumas. You yeah. know, the, the it's really difficult. Um, Northern Hemisphere club rugby. Southern Hemisphere International Rugby gives players no break whatsoever. So we have to do things very different over there over these next couple of years to try and get a peak performance out at World Cup time. Before we get to the, the, your role with the Pumas, uh, I want to just touch on another uh, head coaching role that you've got with the Lebanese Rugby League team. I know you're a proud Lebanese man and you've also a really uh, big fan of Rugby League. You're, you're keen on that as well. Um, talk to us about that, uh, you know, your, your role with the Lebanese boys and, and what you've got coming up with them. Yeah, mate, it's been uh, it's been really fun and, and really interesting. Obviously, it's, it's a passion thing for me. About I never thought I'd get a chance to do something for my, you know, the, the land of where my parents came from. Uh, in in my area of expertise, I suppose, being footy. So the 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 chance to get involved here was you couldn't say no to. And and now I've got good, really good coaching. You know, guys with me helping helping me out there. Matt King. Uh, Jake Friend is giving us a hand in there in the coaching. Robbie Farrar doing his hand. So, you know, really some of rugby league's uh, high intellects. And, and we've got some good players too, you know. So yeah. we, we've got a game coming up on the 22nd of June at Belmore um, just before the Argentinian test at 7.30. So it's against Malta. And it'll be like a second-tier test. And then we go, we'll come into camp on in September for the World Cup, which is in October. And uh, we'll play a couple of games. I think we play Italy and Australia and then Wales over there as a warm-up game. And then we play, we've got New Zealand, Jamaica and Ireland in our group. So, you know, obviously the goal is to try to get out of the group and maybe get a quarterfinal um, tussle with Australia, I think, we line up with. So we've nice. just got to see how it plays out. But, mate, there's some good young kids coming through. And, and I think that role-modelling 
for some of that, the community both here and overseas, and there's, there's a lot of Lebanese in different countries. It's really important to see, see Leb kids doing something powerful and, and different on the world stage. Absolutely. Well, and well done on uh, on that appointment there, Czech. The, the other thing I was, was keen to ask you in... In your time uh, in, in coaching, as well as in playing um, over the years with, with Randwick, uh, leadership seems to be a, a key cornerstone of the Michael Checker mantra. Who are some of the best leaders that you've worked with, either in Australian rugby or abroad? Mate, there's a lot of... Uh, I think, you know, you see different leaders um, come in different formats. Whether you work with them or just have them experience... For me, it was always a lot of the players I worked with... I, I, I played with at Randwick back in those younger days, and they were all different types of characters. I think because I grew up playing rugby league, when I came over to Randwick, it, it formed me a lot. You know, guys that you may not you may not be household names like you know, John Maxwell or, or more well-known you know, Simon Boyderman, uh, and and players who who had an influence on you around leadership in different ways. Even uh, like to say a guy like David Campy who. You know, would, may not have been a captain or known, but he's, he showed me leadership about like when the game was on the line, I'll come and do something to help you, mm. you know, to help the team win and do it by actions in that way. And so I've seen very different shades of leadership from different players mainly that I played with. And then I think that just sort of naturally led me into captaincy with the team. And then I don't know how I ended up coaching, but... <laughs> you know, with coaching, I think that's really important because you've got to get, you've got to align a lot of people um, in a very, very goal-orientated scenario week in, week out, and try try to keep everyone, you know, committed and and aligned to play the same way to achieve the same goals. So I think it's really important about how you do that, and then how you also let um, leadership flow down through your people as well, through the people that, that are, are actually active and on the field playing. Oh, well, it's it's certainly shown over the years, Michael Checker, um, you know, those those goal-orientated strategies. You've ticked a, a lot of goals off along the way. And, uh, mate, we, we are certainly appreciative for you to join us on the show and go here this morning. I, I didn't hear the name Drew Mitchell thrown around in leadership <laughs> circles, but uh, I wasn't expecting to either, just quietly. Mate, check, check gave me a VC in a World Cup game against Uruguay. He <laughs> knows where there's a bit of leadership, don't you, Check? <laughs> <laughs> look, look where you are now. Michael Checker, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, boys. Appreciate Thanks, Check. It.